I'm Stephanie Gary, Executive Vice President of Communal Partnerships at Plaza Jewish Community Chapel in New York City. And I'm honored to welcome Rabbi Neil Zuckerman to Exit Strategy. Rabbi Zuckerman became Associate Rabbi of Park Avenue Synagogue in New York City in 2014 and has worked to elevate end-of-life conversations at the synagogue and beyond. And he has been a Plaza board member for the last seven years. Today, we are talking about organ donation. Now, it's a subject that may be unfamiliar, even uncomfortable for many, but I really hope this conversation will demystify that notion and generate questions and conversation. So Rabbi Neil Zuckerman, welcome to Exit Strategy. Thank you, Stephanie. It's great to be here. Let's set the stage and talk about why and how did you develop an interest in organ donation and related issues? There are a number of reasons. First of all, I remember being a rabbinical student, thinking about and studying halakha, Jewish law, and feeling that in a really profound way, some of the most innovative, creative, halachic legal thinking was happening around biomedical issues, around end-of-life decisions, around things like organ donation, which I think is a critical issue. And just sort of studying those issues and seeing the innovation, the creativity of the rabbis and taking Talmudic principles, Talmudic stories, and applying them to situations that the rabbis of the Talmud could have never imagined, but sort of figuring out what does the tradition say about X based on this Talmudic discussion about how the end of life was determined back in the second century. As a rabbi in a community, the conversations around death and dying, around decisions around death and dying, are, are something that we deal with every day. Yes, not just questions of end-of-life care, is it what's the, the view of life support, for example, in the Jewish tradition, but in a profound way, what does our tradition have to say about donating organs? And should I be an organ donor? These are questions that are, are live for our congregants, and they turn to us, they turn to their rabbis for guidance. I want to talk about an article in 2018. It was an article in New York Jewish Life, and you're quoted in there. And you say it is the obligation of every Jew to save the life of another human being. The ability to save lives is a divine act. Talk about what Judaism really says about organ donation. And I really want to talk about, does this vary among all the denominations? So, A, I, I don't remember that article, but I'm going to take <laughs> your word for it. I'm happy I reminded you. There are two issues around organ donation. I mean, there are many issues, but I'm going to frame the larger ones and then we can break down each. I think there is a theological issue around organ donation. I believe that we are called on, we are challenged to behave in a godlike way. Rabbi Harold Schulweis of Blessed Memory used to speak about predicate theology, that God is a verb. And when we feed the hungry, when we clothe the naked, right, there's a very famous rabbinic text in the Tractate of Sotah, which talks about this. But there's another way that we can be godlike, and that is healing the sick and giving the gift of life. And to have that opportunity, purely forgetting what any of the halakha, any of the law has to say, but just speaking in the category of how do I live a holy, sacred life? And given the opportunity to give someone the gift of sight or a heart or a kidney or tissue or whatever it is, 
I can't think of a more significant way to embody that godliness than to be an organ donor. Before we even get to the halacha, given the scope, I mean, I think there are like 100,000 people waiting for organs. You could help somebody and give them life, I think is such a, it's a mitzvah. I mean, it's an obligation. I don't think it's just a good thing. I don't think it's a nice, kind act to be an organ donor. That's true, it is. But from my read of the sources, it's an obligation. It is incumbent on every Jew, if they can, to be an organ donor and to fill out the necessary paperwork to make sure that the people who are your healthcare proxies know what your wishes are. When the time comes, your organs can be used in, the, in a way that will be most beneficial. That's all theology. From a legal perspective, I believe it's obligatory. The three big issues that come up anytime you speak about organ donation is, you know, these prohibitions that are, exist in our tradition. Number one, don't mutilate a corpse. Mm-hmm. Number two, don't delay burial. These are things you know. This is what you do professionally. Yes. And number three, don't benefit from a corpse. So, you know, you look at these three things, they all come under this category of, in Hebrew, what's called kavod hamet, respect for the dead. We take that very seriously. It's a sacred value in our tradition. The opportunity and obligation to save a life is so significant that those three concerns, which are critical, are pushed aside. We are willing to mutilate a corpse, to cut into a corpse. We're willing to delay burial and we're willing to benefit by use of those organs because we know on the other side of that equation is, as I said, the gift of life. Is organ donation this important among other religions? My understanding of all the religions I looked at, from the ones that we might think that are even the most isolated, like, for example, the Amish, right? Like, the Amish support organ donation. Catholicism is pro-organ donation. I mean, they may articulate it differently, but across the board, Islam, different branches of Christianity, most of them come down on the side of, when, when given the opportunity to save a life, you do. That's a sacred act. The texts we may use to get there will be different. But as far as I can tell, most religions will arrive at the same answer. I think it's important to differentiate between organ donation after death and organ donation during life. There are different sensibilities and considerations. So let's just talk about that for a moment. It's a critical distinction. And even when you start to get into the legal sources around organ donation, the conversation mostly revolves around what's the risk involved. How much risk can we take before it's too much to donate an organ? Maimonides will basically use the verse, we don't stand idly by the blood of another, to say that we have an obligation when the opportunity arises to be an organ donor. And in modern times, that will be picked up by a couple of significant decisors of Jewish law. One is Rabbi Avadi Yosef, the great Sephardic rabbi, to frame you know, what the concerns are. He says, the truth is that we've been informed by God-fearing medical experts that the degree of danger in the removal of a kidney is minimal and that roughly 90% of kidney donors recuperate fully. Accordingly, all the authorities who prohibited one from putting himself at risk were referring to a balance risk which is not the case here. So in other words, if the risk is even balanced 50-50, they may 
be reluctant. But you know, in the case of a kidney donor, which is 99% successful, he'll actually say, not only is it permissible, it's a mitzvah, he says. Now, I'm not certain mm-hmm. he's using mitzvah there as an obligation or it's something that should be really praiseworthy. But the take home is, is that for the 20th century scholar, Sephardic rabbi in Israel, there's no question that if the risk is, is minimal, being a living donor, that you would take that. Let's talk about the debate on when life ends. That's a tricky area within the Jewish community, and that has ramifications for organ donations. It certainly does. It's a big issue. And there's not unanimity on this, but I think there is a a general sense of what the definition is of death. It's interesting, you know, I mentioned the rabbinic sources from for the rabbis. When they would talk about death, they would hold a feather under someone's nose. And if the feather moved, they'd know that someone was still alive. Now the definition that's used, and certainly for the rabbis that I look to for halachic legal guidance in my own movement, I'm a conservative rabbi. Mm-hmm. Conservative rabbis, for the most part, will use the definition of brain death. And brain death is defined as a permanent functional death of the centers in the brain that control the breathing, pulpillary, and other vital reflexes. This will be the definition used by rabbis like Elliot Dorff, well-known biomedical expert in the conservative movement, Rabbi Avraham Reisner, David Galinkin, right? All of these significant decisions of Jewish law in the conservative movement will hold by brain death. And even Rabbi Moshe Tendler, a prominent Orthodox rabbi, when it comes to medical ethics, all rabbinic authorities agree that the classical definition of death in Judaism is the absence of spontaneous respiration in a patient with no other signs of life. Brain death is a criterion for confirming death in a patient's body who already has irreversible absence of spontaneous respirations. They'll really look to that lack of brain function as the definition of death, and then we'll proceed to harvest the organs that the person is donating. You are constantly guiding families through end-of-life conversation. I'm curious to know, are people reluctant? Are they open to the conversation? For most people I encounter are open to the idea of organ donation, but it's not a hundred percent. I mean, I'll just use one example that's close to home. My father, who passed away about a year ago, I would say like 10 years ago, sort of started to talk to me about some of his concerns about end of life. And he made it clear that he didn't want to be an organ donor. You know, I was like, what are you talking about? You've got the opportunity to be a life-giving force. The answer he gave, which is what I think you'll often hear from people who are reluctant, was around having his body cut up after he was dead. You know, there are some of these emotional, psychological concerns that people have when it comes to organ donation. You will hear sometimes the idea that when the Messiah comes and I'm resurrected, I don't want to be resurrected without part of my body. Right. I want to be able to see. Yes. That's right. You know, the best response to this I can tell you is because it's actually raised in a piece of responsa literature by a modern Israeli rabbi. And in 2004, another rabbi writes in response. And if you will ask, he says, what will be at the time of the resurrection of the dead? Will one who donates an organ be missing an organ? This particular rabbi, Rabbi Shlomo Aviner says, nonsense. He will not be missing anything. 
Both the one who died of illness and the soldier who was fatally wounded will arise complete. In any case, after a short time, all bodies deteriorate in the ground. On the contrary, an organ with which this great mitzvah is done will reappear twice as healthy at the time of <laughs> resurrection. So, Stephanie, if you donate an organ, right. when you are resurrected, it will come back to you twice as strong. That's great. How's that for uh, inspiration and impulse to be an organ donor? Totally. That means, you know, when I donate my heart, it will be that much stronger. That's right. I love that. It's a beautiful read, actually. Unlike the conversation you shared with your father, I find that younger people think this is a great idea. Are you seeing that as people get older, they're shying away from it a little bit because of what you've just talked about? You do this job long enough, you start to hear all kinds of, of reasons for why people will or will not you know, think about becoming organ donors. You know, we've been involved with What Matters now for a number of years, which is really talk about elevating the conversation around you know, end of life, where questions like organ donation will come up. When we've had these conversations and when people are reluctant to be organ donors, it gives us an opportunity in a, in a non-crisis moment to discuss the pros and the cons, the merits of becoming an organ donor. One of the things that I've started to do is to have these conversations like the What Matters conversations with couples that I'm marrying. You know, these are conversations I don't have to have till I'm in my 60s or 70s, right? Yep. I've sadly seen occasions when young people are put in positions where they're not able to make uh, their own medical decisions. They lose that agency. These are things that should be clarified, I think, you know, as soon as possible, including the question of organ donation. And when I am put in that position with someone who is older and does have these concerns about being cut up or resurrection, or I just don't want to do it or whatever it is, there are some interesting points to be made. I think that put organ donation in a new light. You know, you've got the theological we discussed. We've got the halachic permissibility. There's another modern decisor of Jewish law who talks about the fact that people feel good about themselves when they donate organs, right? In fact, he writes, there are instances in which this act of restoring health to to his loved one will generate more happiness and satisfaction than preventing the surgery especially in the case of a father or mother for a parent feels mercy for his child, right? So there's like a, an emotional benefit to the person who's donating the organ. You know, we know, for example, that people who are mourning the loss of a loved one, but who know that their loved ones have donated organs, it can help ease the pain of that mourning and even shorten the time of that period of intense mourning. It's like another interesting layer to this conversation. We all want to be altruistic and do things for the right reasons. It's not about me. There are aspects of organ donation that are about me and that are good for me. And I don't think that we should shy away from them when discussing with people who are reluctant about taking part in this mitzvah. And I also just want to mention, since you brought it up, What Matters, What Matters Caring Conversations About End of Life is a grant that in 2015 Plaza provided to the community in New York. And we were able to have many congregations have these important and really relevant conversations that we all need to have. So thank you for bringing up What Matters. 
I want to also talk about brain donation. And I want to talk about donating a body to science because literally, I just heard it today from a family who said, I'm interested in donating my body to science. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have a conversation with Rabbi Zuckerman. I need to ask him this question. So is this part of this conversation when it comes to research? I typically have not included it. I think it's an interesting question. In some ways, it gets to question of autopsies, for example, and in the Jewish tradition. You wouldn't expect coming into this profession, but a number of times I have been called on to either speak to or write a letter on behalf of someone who, who dies and the coroner wants to do an autopsy because that's what happens in that jurisdiction. And, you know, we have to convince this person that according to Jewish law, unless there's some medical benefit, like we don't just do autopsies just to do autopsies. If there is, you know, sort of medical information to be gained, especially for the immediate family, then yes, to an autopsy. But otherwise, I can speculate about brain donation, for example. I mean, I can imagine that if there was some benefit to science and to the greater well-being of society by donating the brain. Like, let's say there's a Jewish football player who suffers from the concussion injury. And by studying this person's brain, it could help us diagnose others. And I could see making a case for that. But just to indiscriminately donate your body to science, it doesn't feel to me like that would be a Jewish expression of end of life. I'm not sure if that would be a reason to, you know, mutilate a corpse or delay burial or derive benefit. I don't see the immediate life-saving force there that I do with organ donation. Can someone who dies at home, can they be an organ donor? More and more, we're seeing people making the choice to die at home, I think that there would just need to be arrangements made to make sure that if, if there are organs to be donated, that we want to make sure we can get to those organs. And I would think that there would be some precautions that could be taken or arrangements made to make sure that that happens. How does one register to become an organ donor? I know my information is on my driver's license. We hear this a lot. Are there other ways to register? Yeah, there are three ways you can do it. One is to register with your state's donor registry. Most states will have registries and you just need to check. You can go to organdonor.gov and you should be able to find information. As you said, you could designate your choice on your driver's license. If you're not one, you can do it when you renew your driver's license. And the third is tell your family. Yes. Make sure your family knows your wishes. Uh, one of the things that I've discovered doing this, these What Matters conversations is that there are a lot of people who have healthcare proxies, and their healthcare proxies either A, don't know that they're their healthcare proxy, <laughs> or B, they don't know what the person's wishes are. So I think, especially around issues of end of life decisions and organ donation, it is very important that whoever is your healthcare proxy knows what your wishes are. So if and when the time comes, they can carry out uh, your wishes. How can we as a community really elevate the importance of organ donation, not only maybe as an option, but really, as you spoke initially, as a sacred deed and obligation, the greatest mitzvah that we can do? Number one is through opportunities like this to speak about it, through elevating a general conversation around end of life, like what matters 
We think of end of life. Certainly organ donation is one of those critical conversations. We need to keep them in the forefront. These are not, as you know, conversations that people always want to have. We don't want to walk around constantly thinking about death and dying and organ donation. And yet we know how important it is. And you and I have also been in situations when these conversations didn't happen. And it's a complete mess for everybody as you try to piece together what would this person have wanted? Is it too late to be an organ donor? And meanwhile, there could have been a heart given to somebody. So we need to elevate and and keep these conversations going. Rabbis need to speak about this. We need to be teaching classes about end-of-life decisions. We need to be speaking about it in our sermons, writing about it in bulletin articles. One of the aha moments I had was thinking, we're missing the mark if we only talk to people about this who are 60 and 70. Finding opportunities to talk about this in ritual moments, natural life cycle moments. We talk about genetic testing, for example, with people who are getting married, couples. We should be talking about this as well. People should know what their significant others' wishes are. And these should probably be conversations we revisit at different parts of the life cycle journey because there has to be a strategy to keep these conversations live because I think left to their own devices, people will choose not to talk about death and dying and end-of-life decisions. So that's our responsibility, our collective responsibility. You know, I teach an introduction to Judaism class Whenever we get to the unit on death and dying, you come and speak to my class. I do. It's a missed opportunity if we don't spend time with that group as they are entering into our tradition in guiding these ends of life decisions. So I would put that on our list as well of moments when we can highlight and really elevate this conversation. Thank you for saying that. I was thinking that as you were speaking, and I was going to make a note saying, elevate organ donation in those classes. This conversation has been so enlightening and informative. Rabbi Zuckerman, thank you so much for being on today. You are a gift to the community. Thank you, Stephanie. It's a pleasure to be with you always, and I look forward to seeing you soon. As the host of Exit Strategy, I thank you for tuning in to what I hope was an informative and illuminating conversation I urge you to visit our show notes, and there's an email listed there. So if you have any questions, send them my way. In the meantime, please share this episode with anyone you know who may be interested, and subscribe to Exit Strategy. Wherever you find your podcast, we will renew our conversation with another topic, and I'm really happy you're along for the ride. I'm Stephanie Gary, and this is Exit Strategy.